Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. How you can identify your calling and how you can walk in your calling and how to hear the voice of God concerning your calling. I want to start off this broadcast by reading from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. This is what Paul said. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know Know what? So he's Paul saying, I'm, I pray to God always for you, that God would give you the wisdom so that your, your understanding can awaken and your, you can gain insight into the following things. And he says one of the things is, and the first thing that Paul says that uh, he's praying that the eyes of their understanding should be open to is the hope of God's calling, that you may know what is the hope of God's calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Skip, to me, skip with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning with verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about being saved by grace and all that. But then it doesn't just finish there. It doesn't say you're saved just to sit in a church pew and warm it up every Sunday. You're not saved just to coast through life the rest of your life and go through a nine to five job and, and, and virtually live no different than how you lived before you came into the knowledge of salvation and the reality of heaven. The Bible goes on to say, for we are God's workmanship. In the New Living Translation, I believe, it says you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to write this out in the comment section. I have a unique calling. I have a unique calling. God does not make doubles. Every single one of us, every single one of us are created very uniquely. I mean, you take the example of a forest. You look at a forest, everything looks like it's blending in. You know, there's eight, uh, what is it, seven, eight billion, I mean, there's seven billion, 7.5 billion people on planet Earth today. And if you get a massive crowd like um, Reinhard Bonnke used to have, in, in his crusades in Africa, you get a, mass, a, a massive crowd and everyone pretty much looks the same. Everybody just blends in. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, uh, Chinese, it doesn't matter what you are, you just blend in because you're looking at it from a distance. But you come a little closer, like a forest, every, every tree just blends in. You, don't, you can't see the uniqueness of every single tree. But then you come on a little closer and you start to see that every tree trunk is different. You start to see that the different types of trees carry different types of leaves. And then every leaf is uniquely different. God created us in the 
same manner. Not only is nature unique, there's no two snowflakes that are the same. You know, everything is has the, the handprint of an intellectual designer in nature. Well, do you think God took so much time to make trees that way? And then with you, he just skipped over the details? No, there are specific details. I, matter of fact, in Psalm 139, and I don't want to get carried away too much on this uh, point specifically because there's so much to cover today and I don't have enough time to cover it all. But if you read in Psalm 139, this, uh, this is what David says. David says, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar. Uh, skip down to verse Verse 13, Psalm 139 and verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, O God, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written of me. The days that have been fashioned for me, while as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts towards me. How great is the sum of them all. So the Bible makes it very clear that you weren't an afterthought to God, and you weren't just some you know, a quick mock-up that he drew up. God spent time. You know, he created the, the earth in six days. And when it came to man, he didn't speak us into existence. He actually got his hands in the earth and formed man out of the dust. He took a little more time and a little more detail when it came to man. When God created you, the Bible says you were skillfully wrought in the, low, in the lowest parts of the earth. The Bible says, and while you were made, before you were even born, you know, Jeremiah 1, before you were born, I knew you. God told Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you as a prophet to the nations. So point number one, why should I be serious about locating my purpose and identifying my calling? Point number one is you're not your own. You belong to God and he wired you for a specific purpose. You don't decide your calling you discover your calling. Why should we be identifying our calling? Why should we even take time to listen to a broadcast like this? Because you're, you don't belong to yourself. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, this is what Paul says. Paul says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable surface service. So the Bible says that after you get saved, you're to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service so that you're no longer conformed to this world. You're not just living blended in with the rest. I talked about that earlier. You're not, to, you're, you're not just a fish swimming in the school of fish going in the same direction. No, we're going in another direction now. And we're not to be conformed to the thought patterns of this world. We're not to be conformed to the DNA that is in worldly people, but rather we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You understand that you were born with a destiny. God wired you with destiny. When you look at an acorn, what do you see? You don't just see an acorn. Someone who has vision understands that that acorn 
has the destiny or the potentiality to become a mighty tree. When God created you, you were his seed. And he, just like the acorn, doesn't have to try to be an acorn or doesn't have to try to produce a tree. It just has to be sown into the earth. And when it's sown properly and watered and fertilized, it grows up into this massive tree. The acorn carries the DNA to breed that level of potential. When God wired you, he wired you with an immense amount of potential, limitless potential actually. Remember when God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was created and the Bible says, God said it was very good. And then God gave Adam a task to name every single animal. I mean, you talk about the potential of Adam's mind. God didn't question whether Adam was able to do it. God wired him with the ability to do it. When Adam sinned, he lost all that limitless capability and he, he became limited and confined by the curse of sin. But when Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, we then took the limits off again. We broke free from the limitations of our flesh. We've been set free from the laws of sin and death that limited us and we now have the spirit of God, the spirit of life alive in us, enabling us to do what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no heart has ever conceived because we're called according to his purpose. So when God created you, he created you like a seed that he's sown into this earth. And within the seed, God's already wired everything that is necessary for you to reach the potential that God's placed on your life. Listen to this. Listen to what Peter says. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. And let's start with verse two. Grace and peace be given to you. Be multiplied to you, sorry, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things. I want you to write that in the comment section. God's power has given me all things. God, actually phrase it this way. God gave me everything I need. God gave me everything I need. When you were born again, so I'm not talking about when you were born the first time. When we were, we were all conceived in sin, the Bible says, we had together become corrupt. All, all of creation has fallen short of the glory of God. But when you were born again, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to my life and your life and to godliness. Anything that is necessary to accomplish the assignment on your life is already in you. So Peter's not saying we need to fast and pray to get, no, his divine power has already given to you everything that is required to fulfill your life and assignment through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given exceedingly and great promises that through the promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world in lust, uh, through lust. So the Bible says very clearly that we already have built in, built in, indwelling within us. We're programmed. You know, I read it before in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship. Well, when he designed you, he programmed you. Like a computer chip goes into a computer to program that computer's hardware. This body is the hardware. But he, in redemption, has programmed you 
with a limitless potential to achieve high things. God never calls people to a low place in life. Name me one person in scripture that when God called them, he said, hey, listen, don't become so ambitious. You're not going to do much for me. I just need you to do one thing. No, everyone God called. I mean, you look at Rahab. With the tiny part she played, it produced such results that Years, thousands of years later, we're still talking about Rahab, and she's mentioned in Jesus's genealogy in Matthew. So, uh, I, no, actually, in Luke's genealogy, in Luke's version of the genealogy, or Luke's Luke's uh, genealogy in Luke one, or actually, it's Luke Luke chapter two. But you look at the part she played and the results it produced. Add. When, when Abraham was called, God said, depart from your relatives, leave your father's house, go into the land that I'm going to show you, and I'm indeed going to make you a great nation. He didn't say, I'm going to make you a tiny, non, non-relative thing that you're pretty much uh, going to be a, 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 a sore to the, your generation. No, when God calls a person, he calls them to be a blessing to their generation. David, in Acts chapter 7, it says, David, after he had served his generation. God has wired you with something in your spiritual DNA, very unique and detailed to you, that will enable you not to be a burden to your generation, but to serve and bless your generation. You are the product, God is the manufacturer. You don't get to decide whatever you want to do. You're not your own. That's point number one. You are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. Just like Steve Jobs wired the iPhone for a specific purpose, God wired us for a specific purpose. An iPhone can't decide to become a hair blower, a a blow dryer. An iPhone can't decide to become uh, an automobile. It just doesn't have it. It just doesn't qualify for it. So one of the greatest frustrations people have in life is that they go out trying to do a bunch of things that they think is right or they see it as, you know, well, it, it makes an income and they live frustrated. They live depressed. They live sorrowful. They live like they're constantly punching a wall and it's not satisfying and it's not enjoyable. And God didn't create you to live a non-satisfactory life or a non-enjoyable life. No, God, you know, God didn't make life to be hard on you. Sin did that. But when you got redeemed, Jesus said, I came to bring you life and life more abundantly. So God's not trying to make things hard for you. God, when you actually walk in his divine purpose and identify his calling and actually step out in it, life becomes very enjoyable. I can't get along with the amount of ministers that talk about how hard ministry is. Maybe they're not doing it right. I I just can't see how ministry is hard. I can't, I don't see how, I'm not saying there aren't times where we get persecuted and there's not times where we get, you know, we get slandered and all that. And I'm not saying there's not times where heavily criticized and, and you have all that. But my focus is so off those things and on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, those, you know, God makes me like rubber. It just bounces off me and bounces back on them. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't focus on the hardships, I focus on the great privilege that I have in daily being able to minister to the people of God with the word of God and see people's lives transformed, see people's lives changed, see bodies healed, see minds set free, see the demonized released and out of the captivity of Satan. That's what I focus on and it brings me great joy. I mean, the Bible says consider it great joy when you encounter various trials. So I can't get along with ministers that talk about how hard ministry's been. I can't get along with Christians that talk about 
how hard the Christian life is. It's not supposed to be hard. John the Apostle in 1 John says, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. They're not heavy. They're not heavy. If you carry the Holy Ghost and you truly desire to live for God, it, it's not heavy. It's actually quite easy. Jesus didn't say, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to add a ton of bricks to that, and I'm going to make it even harder. Religion adds burdens that are una unable for people to lift. But Jesus removes the burdens. Jesus takes off the yokes of captivity, and he said, I put my yoke on you that's easy, and I put my burden on you which is light. When you try to live out your purpose and your agenda and your heart's desires, that's when life becomes burdensome and it's like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. But when you start to fix your eyes on what God's called you to do and you remain in the calling in which you were called, then you'll find out very quickly, just like Paul said, it is a good will, it's a perfect will, and it is an acceptable will. It's a good will. God does not have a bad will for your life. God has a good will for your life. And, and he who made you knows how to maximize your potential. There's so many people that go to Tony Robbins and they go to Jim Ron and they go to all these motivational gurus trying to maximize their productivity. And they've never once, I'm talking about Christians here, they've never once her, uh, asked the Lord. They've never fasted and prayed and asked the Lord what they should do in life. They just go to everyone else. They want their father's counsel. They want their pastor's counsel. And I'm not against counseling. The multitude of counselors, there is wisdom, the Bible says. But if you look at everyone else's counsel and you've never heard from God, you're setting yourself up for a very difficult, hard life. Paul received specific instructions from Jesus. And the Bible says in Acts 26, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He had a heavenly vision. He had a heavenly calling, and he made sure to keep his feet aligned with the path that had been set out for him. And in doing that, I'm not saying he didn't have trial and tribulation, but even in prison, he was rejoicing. Even in prison, he was encouraging. Even in prison, there was a peace that surpassed all understanding that guarded his heart. Number one, you're not your own. The purpose of every product is determined by the manufacturer, not the product. People know they're destined for something great and important. I don't believe there's anybody watching me right now that doesn't know inside them that, they're that they have a destiny. I don't believe God's wired anybody to think small. I think religion beats people down to a small thought of themselves. I think that people and listening to other people's voices can definitely deflate your vision and your dreams, but I don't believe there's anybody. I mean, look at children. Children, what do they dream to be? They don't say, hey, I, I, you know, I dream one day I'm going to be a garbage picker. They don't dream that. What are they dreaming? I want to be a police officer. Why? Because they see police officers can bring change. Why do they say I want to be a uh, I want to be a, a, a president or I want to be a, a minister of the gospel? Or I want to be a whatever. They're always looking at something that brings change. They're not shooting low. It's religion that beats people down to shoot low. And then as a result, it cripples people's destinies. But understand, first and foremost, you are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people with a peculiar destiny. Destiny. Don't think of yourself as some uh, normal person. God does not create normal. It's an insult to God to say, I'm just a normal guy, or I'm a normal girl. You are, you are insulting God's, God's creation, his product, when you start to talk about yourself that way. Start to say what the Bible says about you. I am a peculiar person, 
I have a special destiny. And I, like Daniel 11.32 says, as I know my God, I'm destined for exploits and to accomplish great things in life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.9, before time began, God set me apart and gave me grace to do a work. 2 Timothy 2, verses 4 to 7, the Bible says that, uh, that God, uh, when, when a soldier is enlisted into an army, he's enlisted to please not himself, he's enlisted to please the enlisting officer. So when you get saved and born again, and God puts a calling in your life, it's not to please yourself, it's not to satisfy your own desires, it's to accomplish. You know, even in catechism they teach, the number one objective for every person, every cre creation in existence, is to glorify God. And it's in identifying your purpose and following that purpose that you do that. This is why God hates abortion so much. This is why God cannot tolerate abortion. And any Christian that's light on abortion is in the wrong. Because abortion kills the seed. I talked about you being a seed that's been programmed with an amazing plan and destiny. When, you, when someone has an abortion, you're killing the God-ordained seed. You're killing it. And so... You're actually robbing the earth of a unique DNA that could have blessed mankind. Think of all the Elon Musks that could have come. All the Albert Einsteins. All the great minds that could have, could have, all the other Billy Grahams that God could have used. But because of abortion and the industry of abortion, it's, it, 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 it tragically uproots a seed that God desired to sow on the earth. It kills the seed. Number two, if you're not focused on God's future, you'll constantly be dwelling on your past. Why you should identify your purpose? Because if you're not focused on the, the walk ahead of you, you're constantly going to be in bondage to your past. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, there's no neutrality with God. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You're either moving in the direction of God or you're moving and you're bound to the direction of your past. People without a vision or a purpose are always stuck in the traditions that they've always known. Vision sets you free. Purpose, your calling is going to set you free from the limitations and it's going to put you in a state where you can think God's thoughts for your life. Vision sets you free from the limitations of your past and it puts you in a place where you can now start to think God's thoughts for your life. And remember, God's a moving God. He's always moving forward. We go from glory to glory, Paul said. He's always moving forward. He's never taking steps back. So when you're following his vision, you too, it's like an airplane. I'm a passenger on an airplane. There's 276 other passengers on that airplane. Once the airplane goes up, everyone goes with it. Picture God as the airplane. Because he's going up, everyone tied to his plan naturally gets to experience the same flight upward. The Bible says in Psalm, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, the people who lack vision perish. My people are destroyed because they have no vision. Proverbs 29, 18, in the lack of vision, my people perish. Let me read the exact, because I'm like butchering. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision or purpose or calling or any clarity in the calling, the people cast off restraint. And in the, another translation, it says, my people perish. So you end up drowning in life when you have no vision for your life. 
You're, you're blind, following the blind. And when you have no purpose and don't identify your calling, anywhere looks anywhere will look like you've made it. You, if you don't know where you're going, you don't have a destination that you put in your GPS and you want to go to Vermont and you're starting out in, in California, you'll get to Colorado and you'll think you're in Vermont because you haven't set a specific destination. Vision and your calling, when God calls a person like he did with Abraham, he gives them, he gives them the, 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 the final product. This is what I'm going to bring you to. Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of a multitude of nations. When I received my calling, I saw crusade fields packed with people, hundreds of thousands of people coming to the, coming to the Lord with wheelchairs over their heads because of the testimonies that were happening. And this was not happening only in Africa. I saw these happening in America and in Canada, on the fields of Canada. So I saw the destination. I got a vision for where God wants to take me. And because of that vision, it enables me to have endurance and stamina to keep to the path. Because I know I haven't arrived there yet, so I keep moving. I forget, like Paul said. He said, I haven't apprehended what God's called me to do yet. I haven't hit the mark yet. But this one thing I do, I forsake those things which are behind. I forget them, and I lean forward and reach for those things that are ahead. I press towards the call of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, number three reason why you should identify your purpose today is because vision empowers you to have hope and continue in the midst of discouragement and despair. Vision, when you know your calling and the destination God's taking you to, you won't get sideswiped by every single discouragement that comes along the way. You're not gonna think of giving up. You're not gonna wanna, you're not gonna wanna just throw in the towel every time someone uh, says, hey, it didn't work, quite work out the way we thought it would. Anytime discouragement or despair or you start to look at, man, I'm not where I wanna be right now, and you start to have thoughts of hopelessness, when you have a genuine vision from the Lord, it beats off all of those thoughts that try to get you sidetracked because you understand, faithful is he who called you, he's going to bring it to pass. God's not a man that he should lie. What he said, he will do. What he's declared, he'll bring to pass. The Bible says no purpose of God's can be thwarted. The scripture says in Philippians 1.6, I am very confident of this one thing. He that began a good work in you will complete it. He that began a good work in you will complete it. So when you, when you see that God, you know, God doesn't call people to give up on them halfway. He's not, a, 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 you know, he doesn't half his jobs. God doesn't complete things halfway. He's not mediocre in his dealings with men. When God calls a person for a specific task, God doesn't give up on that person until they bring to pass the task that he's assigned for them. People give up on God. People can abandon the vision. People can disqualify themselves from vision. I'm going to go through the enemies of vision and purpose today. But God's never the one to abandon someone. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They're without repentance. God never abandons a person. And so... Listen to Isaiah 14. I wanted to read this. Isaiah chapter 14. It's not Isaiah 14. Is it Isaiah 14? 
Yes, it is. Isaiah 14, verse 26. This is the purpose that I've purposed against the whole world. And this is the hand that is stretched out over the nations. Verse 27. For the Lord of hosts have pur has purposed it. Who can cancel it? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? God has purpose. God's called you. Who can cancel it? That's why when you start to listen to other people saying, hey, I, I know that guy. He'll never make it. Or I know, I know what they're capable of and they're just simply not capable for all the, the dreams that they think they're going to do one day. They didn't call you. They can't cancel you. They didn't ordain you. They can't stop you. They didn't commission you. They can't overthrow you. When God calls a man, he calls them and carries them to completion. The Bible says, he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the very end. He that calls you is faithful, he'll bring it to pass. So who cares what people are saying? Who cares what your backslidden aunt said about you? Who cares about what your, your, your relatives and closest friends said about you? When God starts a person out, he is faithful to bring it to, to completion. So when you understand that, when you see God's calling and you understand it, like Miles Monroe says, vision inspires the depressed and it encourages the discouraged. It motivates the discouraged. When you don't have a specific vision and purpose, then every single wind of discouragement is going to knock the wind out of you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to knock you down. So I want to go through right now very quickly five ways to identify your purpose. Five ways to identify your purpose. Number one. Let, first of all, let me read 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In five ways to identify your purpose. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. God has saved us and he has called us with a holy calling. A holy calling. You know what that means? It's a set apart calling. It's a distinguished calling. It's not like the rest. Not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he's given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So I, we have established that you have a calling, you have a purpose. You're not a biological accident. This whole universe is not a cosmological accident. Your parents may not have planned you, but God has certainly planned you. So let's get in on how to identify why God brought you into existence. You have to understand this. You have to understand the why to your existence. People... The, Miles Monroe used to always say this, the most poverty-stricken human being on earth is the one who does not know why they exist. The most poverty-stricken being on planet earth right now is the one who doesn't know his purpose, who doesn't understand his reason for being. So how do you identify your purpose? Number one way you can do it is fasting and prayer. Habakkuk chapter two, the book of Habakkuk chapter two, and beginning with verse 1. This is what the prophet Habakkuk said. Let's start at verse 2. No, let's do verse 1. I will stand my watch. And I will set myself on the rampart. And watch to see what he will say to me. And what I'll answer when I'm corrected. Habakkuk saying, I'm going to set myself in a way. I'm going to align my antennas to tap into heaven's frequency so I can receive transmissions and the message from heaven so that I can see and hear what he'll say to me. You'll never hear from God if you don't fast and pray and 
Put your spirit in position to receive the specific instructions pertaining to your life. Then the Lord answered me. So when Habakkuk set himself to watch and pray, the Lord answered him and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he who run, who uh, he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but in the end it will not tarry, it will speak. So number one, you need to fast and pray. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, the early church was praying and fasting. And the Bible says, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work unto which I have called them. So while they were fasting and praying and ministering to the Lord, the Lord spoke back and said, set apart Barnabas and Paul. I have a work for them. The calling specific to Barnabas and Paul came in a time of fasting and prayer. Ezra chapter 8, the Bible says that they were by the river of Ahava, and Ezra proclaimed a fast to do what? To seek the right way concerning themselves, concerning their goods, and concerning their children. While they were fasting, the Lord showed them the right way, the direction they needed in life. So it's in fasting and prayer that you discover the hope of His calling, like we read about in Ephesians 1. The hope of His calling. It's in fasting and prayer where you diminish the distraction of the flesh so that your spirit is alive and in tune to receive clean transmissions from heaven as to what God's called you to do. Remember, one of the greatest revelations for direction for the people of Israel in history came when Moses was fasting and praying on the mountain. That's when he received the Ten Commandments. And think of it this way. In Moses' fasting and prayer, he not only received direction on how to govern the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments is pretty much the foundational document used for every major Judeo-Christian nation to this day. Every successful nation has used that as the foundation in laying down their own laws and operations. Fasting and prayer will release your purpose. Uh, it, I mean, I can tell you when I, when I got saved, I fasted and I prayed and the Holy Ghost spoke and said, I've called you to be an evangelist. And I, I knew in my spirit from that day on, nothing could get me to doubt. In Jesus' time of fasting and prayer, what did the devil come and try and attack? Are you the son of God? If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, he tried to uh, attack his identity. And it was in fasting and prayer, Jesus already knew he was the son of God. But in fasting and prayer, I'll say there's, I, it's pretty much guaranteed that Jesus came away with an even greater confidence as to what God had called him to do. That's why he was able to say in John 18, 37, for this cause was I born and for this cause came I into the world to bear witness <coughs> unto the truth. Number two, identifying your purpose, hearing God's voice. God still speaks to people. God still speaks to people. Why do I believe that? Five reasons that I believe God still speaks to people. Number one, it's God's nature to speak and to hear, to communicate. The very first thing God did in Genesis 1 is to speak. And God said in the Garden of Eden, he conversed with Adam and Eve. Number two, humans are created in God's image and we were created to speak and to hear and primarily not to speak and to hear ourselves, but to speak and to hear from God. Adam spoke and heard from God in the Garden of Eden. His ears and his mouth were programmed first and foremost, primarily to hear and speak to God. Number three, God has spoken throughout history. 
We can read of God speaking to Abraham, spoke to Gideon, spoke to Isaiah, Ezekiel, spoke to Paul. He has spoken throughout history, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. At various times, in various ways, God has spoken and continues to speak. Number four, Jesus said, that God still speaks. He said the Holy Spirit when he comes, he will speak to you concerning all things. He'll teach you everything and he'll bring he'll he'll bring to you clear transmissions from heaven. John 16:13. He will guide you into all truth and he will speak that which he hears from the Father and he will declare it to you. Number 5 reason why I believe God still speaks is the Holy Spirit has a mission to deliver God's memos to those who will hear. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They wrote the scriptures because they heard from the Holy Spirit. God-inspired book. In the same vein, that same spirit that authored the book still speaks from his book and uniquely to this day. Number two, how to identify your purpose? By hearing God's voice and leading. Moses heard the voice of God in the, the wilderness. Now I'm not telling you to go out and start listening to voices and, and praying for a voice to come. If you pray for a voice to come, you, you're going to get into very dangerous waters. And you're most likely, the devil's going to come in and, 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 and have his own voices come your way and screw you up. You don't pray for voices to come. You pray... You fast, you read the word, you worship God, and when God chooses to speak, he'll, he'll speak. But how do you set up an environment to hear God? Number one, quiet things down. Don't have so much noise bombarding everywhere. Don't blow up your ears. I mean, there's people, they, they can't, they always need some sort of white noise buzzing in the background they need a tv on they need their headphones in they can't pray unless they have loud music coming or else the anointing's not there they have no way to just quiet their spirit remember psalm 46 10 says be still and know that i am god so quiet things down turn the tv off turn the music on off uh david diga hernandez i was reading his book just a couple of weeks ago and he talks about how god he heard the voice of god the very first time he used to pray he used to try and pray loud prayers and he'd squint his eyes and he'd shake his fist and he'd beat his chest and he'd do everything to hear god speak and nothing happened and the holy spirit said to him or he felt in his spirit, by the spirit, to just quiet things down. So he shut everything off. He shut the lights off. He shut the music off. He shut everything off. And he just laid there prostrate before the Lord. And the Lord spoke and brought clear direction. Number two, I said it, fast and pray. Number three, praise God. Isaiah 29 says, you will hear a voice when a, when a song is kept. When you praise God, you're setting yourself up to hear from God. God will speak. When you're in a moment of gratitude and thanksgiving, the people that don't hear God are the people always complaining about why they don't hear God. Instead, thank God that you're even qualified to hear from Him. And then finally, number four, is worship. Focus on Him. Focus your attention on Him. When you're praying and you're meditating before the Lord, uh, meditate about the Lord. Think about His greatness. Think about His goodness. Many times, David says, I'll meditate within my heart on my bed. He talks about how I love thy light. It's my meditation all the day. When you meditate on God's word, you'll find out quickly the Holy Ghost will quicken a specific word from the word into your spirit and it'll give you clear direction. That's how you can hear from God. Number three on how to identify your purpose. What are you good at and what comes naturally to you? What are you good at in life? 
What comes naturally to you? What what do you do? And, and, and it's you're good at it and it's a natural talent. Other people strive at doing and they sweat to do and they constantly are 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 struggling at doing, but you it's just you know, some people are amazing graphics designers. They do, they can pop up a, an amazing graphic in less than 10 minutes that would take me an hour and a half to make. They're gifted at it. And it's an indication as to what God's called them to do. Remember, God's not going to wire you with a talent and then not use you in that talent, not use you in that skill set. He gives us skill sets. Remember I said we were skillfully wrought. We were skillfully wrought. You actually have a measure of one of God's skills in you. So find, what, find out what it is. What can you read about for like three hours and it not weigh in on you? You enjoy reading about it. There's some people that can pick up. Steve Harvey always tells a story about a friend of his that loved landscaping and cutting grass and he'd read about cutting grass and he'd read about landscaping and all the different lawnmowers and the the different design patterns you can make on grass and the flower pots and all that he was obsessed with it he was weird 16 year old doing that well he has a multi-million dollar business today and all he did was cut grass because he followed he was a christian man and he followed god's purpose for his life and it was he had an entrepreneurial mindset he loved doing that and it, it created it generated Crazy wealth for him. So he can pump that wealth into the kingdom now and be a blessing to his generation to see the gospel go to the four corners of the earth. So what are you good at? I'm, I'm, this is not just finding your calling for ministry. I'm talking about falling, finding your calling in any area of life. Some people are called to government. Some people are called to ministry. Some people are called to teaching positions. Some people are called to be landscapers. Some people are called, God will call you to be an accountant. And you're gifted and numbers just come easy to you. Find out what it is. Pay attention to your desire and talents. David was good with a sling. God didn't use, God didn't tell David, hey, I know you're good with a sling, but that's not what I'm calling you to use with, uh, with Goliath. I want you to actually use something. No, David was good with a sling. God anointed him with a sling. And David was used by God to kill Goliath with that sling. Number four, how to identify your purpose. When you're in the anointing or a spirit-charged atmosphere, what are you thinking of? What are you motivated to do? I can tell you when I was planning these hope, hope before I planned these Hope Fest Crusades, I would go to a conference in Tampa Bay, the River Church, and they have an amazing minister's conference twice a year. And I would just sit, and every time that I'd be at that conference, I'd feel steered up in my spirit to start doing inner city crusades in Canada. Every time. I, I, I do one conference, a couple of months, six months later, go to the next conference. And I, when I was in that atmosphere, and then when I'd be in private moments of prayer, where the spirit was, the, the weight of God's presence was so strong in the room. The motivation to do those crusades was there. The excitement to get it done was there. Well, I pay attention to that. Because the Bible says, it is the spirit that brings life. The flesh profits nothing. Most people, they operate 24-7 in the flesh. They never hear from God. And then when they get into a spirit-charged atmosphere, they feel to do something, but then they get back in the flesh and they never end up doing it. When you're in the spirit, when you're, you know, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, John said, and it motivated him and inspired him to write the book of Revelation. He heard from God and wrote the book of Revelation. When you're in the spirit, and you should always be in the spirit, but the reality is some people aren't. 
And when you're in the spirit, what, what are you excited to do? What motivates you? What are you thinking of doing? Is that job just like a hindrance to you that you have now? And really, you know what your, your actual purpose and destiny is? But the moment you come out of that atmosphere, you just go, I guess, guess going to be a normal guy and just go back to that job I do. It brings the bread in, huh? Amen. No. Because you're going to struggle through life living that way when you can actually enjoy life living it God's way. Pay attention to the desires you have when you're in a manifest presence of God. Number five, and I'm going to finish with this. Pay attention to the peace in you. Pay attention to the peace of God in you. Are you distraught right now? Miserable? Hate everything that you're doing? Every time you go to work, it's like you're kicking your... Maybe, it, maybe you're not doing what God's called you to do. And as a result, God can bless your work. God can only bless his plans. A lot of people fast and pray. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our plans this year. No, you don't fast and pray to bless your plans. You fast and pray to get his plans, and his plans are already blessed. His plans carry pay, peace. His plans carry joy. His plans carry protection. His plans carry provision. His, you know, I've heard it said often. What God orders, he pays. God's will, God's bill. Some people are struggling financially because they're not, and it's causing distress in their spirit because they're not in alignment with God's will. Elijah proclaimed the famine, a drought on the land. And in the midst of a drought, because he was in the will of God, the Lord said to him, go by the river of, uh, Cherub, of um, the, the river Cher Cherith or whatever it was. I forget it right now. But go by the river and drink from there and I've, I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. In the midst of a famine, he was eating bread and filet mignon every single day and night. God's will, God's bill. You have no peace in you. Financial anxiety, general anxiety. The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God arbitrate your life or guide you, direct you. Let the peace of God be the referee as to where you should go and the guidelines as to where you should not go. Bible says in Isaiah 55, 12, you shall be led out with joy and you will, be, you will go out with peace. You will go out with joy and you'll be led out with peace. When God leads, peace follows behind it. When God leads, joy comes with it. Paul's in the midst of prison telling people to rejoice. Those are the five ways to identify your calling. Unfortunately, I have to go right now, but... I, I pray this helped you. If you haven't had a chance yet to share the broadcast, please share this broadcast. It's going to help a lot of people. Tomorrow, stay tuned. I'm going to release a video on five enemies of your calling. Five enemies of your calling. Five things you need to pay, out, pay attention to to make sure you don't get disqualified. Because Paul said that I discipline my body lest I should be disqualified from my calling. So you can be disqualified. And I'm going to show you five reasons, five dominant reasons as to why people never fulfill their calling. That's tomorrow. I'll get that video out to you. Until then, God bless you. If you'd like to sow into today, into this ministry, you can do so by going to salvationnow.ca slash give. I hope you see how much I love you guys. I really... I. I didn't have to do this broadcast today because I have to be somewhere right now, but I, I just, I had a word burning in my spirit for you guys, and I know this is going to help a lot of people, so I hope you're encouraged. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, grant them grace to carry out your calling, oh God, grace to identify your vision, which is the unfolding of your plan as it pertains to us 
And Lord, not only to have the vision, but Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom. You said, let any man who lacks wisdom ask for wisdom. Wisdom on what step to take next that would add to the fulfillment of your vision for their life. In Jesus' name, I pray that for my brothers and sisters across this world. And I give you thanks because you're a God who answers and you answer promptly. We love you and give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. All right. I'll see you, uh, salvationnow.ca slash give if you'd like to give. I'll see you uh, on Tuesday. Tomorrow, pay, pay attention for that video. Keep, keep on the lookout. Also, if you haven't already, we have our app, Salvation Now application that you can download as of today. If you would, I haven't said this before, but if you would, please go and, and leave a, a review on the Apple Store and the Google Store. It does help us. Uh, with credibility and stuff, so people don't think that we're just some, you know, random app. That it, it helps with credibility, and it, it it doesn't give me any money, so it's not about money. It just helps with credibility. So if you can, if you have time today, please go and leave a, a review, positive review, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, if you could do that, that'd be great. All right, I love you all. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.